Hello and welcome to Nature and Wellbeing, a podcast created as part of the Alliance Annual Conference 2022. I'm Georgina Charlton. I'm a program manager with the Alliance. I work on Living Well, uh, one of our programs looking at the mental health prevention and support for people with long-term conditions, and Scotland's reducing gambling harms. But as well as these, I have a strong personal interest in nature. So in this podcast, I'm going to be pulling together some of those thoughts, some of the research that exists, and speaking to some of the people involved in delivering this work to find out exactly how does nature connect with well-being? What are some of the examples of work that are happening? Who's doing this work? And what is needed in the future? And what a better place to start this journey than speaking to Nicole Bell from Mental Health Foundation, who's going to tell us a little bit about mental health and nature and what it all means. Thank you very much for welcoming me, uh, Georgina. So uh, my name is Nicole Bell. I work for the Mental Health Foundation. And for those who, who don't know about us, our vision is, is very much around achieving good mental health for all. So our focus is on prevention, that idea that we want people to understand, protect and sustain their mental health. In terms of my day-to-day role, um, I'm a project manager on our programmes team and I look after um, our COVID response programmes here in Scotland. So those are focused on building the capacity of particular organisations to bring mental health into their day-to-day work um, and particularly focusing on organisations that support those living with long-term conditions in partnership with yourselves at the Alliance, the Living Well Project, and also working with organisations that support those in the BME community. And the rationale for that particularly is the research that we did over the pandemic that demonstrated that the existing inequalities um, for these groups had been deepened by the pandemic and therefore they were most at risk um, of, of mental health issues. So this was our response to that. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today, Nicole. And I guess we're sort of exploring nature and well-being. How does nature support well-being, mental health, physical health? Uh, you know, what exists? What's good practice? What can people try? All these different uh, bits and aspects associated with it. And so I'm really delighted that we get to have a conversation with you about some of the mental health uh, overlaps that exist with nature. I guess as a starting off point, um, how does nature come into your work? I think I think all of us, if we reflect particularly over our experience over the last two and a half years, that link between nature, outdoors and mental health has become underlined. I think for all of us that kind of central awareness has, has raised hugely over the course of the pandemic. And if we cast our minds back to uh, 2021, one of the um, huge areas of work for the foundation is that we are the home of Mental Health Awareness Week. And in 2021, in recognition of the huge um, resurgence interest in nature and its link with mental health we made nature our theme for mental health awareness week in in 2021 and we outlined through that through the uh, activities over the week how folks can engage with nature and make the best use of nature and also drew attention to some really key research which illustrates how folks can can benefit from nature and it's it's really there's a great body of evidence there that supports the difference that that nature time spent in nature can make to mental health but it's it, it's important to recognize I think that 
it's not just about time spent in nature. The evidence base clearly shows that interacting or connecting with nature in a very deliberate way is where we can stand to benefit most. So there was a, a great body of evidence that came out from uh, the University of Derby that basically identified that when we take time to notice nature, so these can be little things like stopping to smell the wildflowers, hearing bees buzzing around us, listening to birdsong, um, little things like that, where we're taking that time to actively attend. To the nature around us that can have a, a significant impact on our mental health and that that research in particular found that those who took the time um, to, to notice nature as it were benefited both from an increase in happiness overall but quite centrally um, an, an increase in the sense that life was worthwhile which is quite um, <laughs> quite philosophical quite meaningful um, but of course I think we forget sometimes that we as human beings are our nature and we're part of nature and up until very recently uh, in the history of humanity I suppose we existed within very much within nature so when we hark back to that and we connect with that we have um, mental health gains to be made. Um, I mean there's a couple of things that you said there about life being worthwhile that's a really significant thing for someone to feel as, as a result of I don't know, interacting or being a part of nature and well Part of nature. That was another. That was another phrase that you mentioned. People saying that you know this is something that we are actively within. We're not separated from. Really, we are nature. And I can really imagine personally something I find when interacting with nature is its ability to make me feel present in the moment. You know, as you said, the point of noticing to literally just be in that space and also that kind of safety of relative scale. I'm a relatively small thing in quite a big world. <laughs> um, for me is a comforting thought. I guess something else that I'm really keen to, to shine a light on when we talk about nature um, is that like so many things in life there are inequalities that intersect with this so it's it, it's, it's very easy for us um, to talk about the experiences that you and I might have had um, in nature and, and the difference that that can make for us and how that makes us feel and indeed we know um, from our research over the pandemic that 69% of Scottish adults actually said that connecting with nature had been important for them in terms of managing their mental health over the pandemic. But that isn't the whole picture. And certainly the evidence base suggests that um, just shy of a third of Scottish adults with long-term conditions and disabilities that um, they would self-report as limiting their daily activities quite a lot, um, they identified that they were maybe unable to physically access nature because of their health. And we know that um, for particular groups, including those in the BME community, um, women and young people, there are, are other barriers that come into play that might prevent people from feeling safe in these spaces or not feel that these spaces are for them. So I think you know, for us at the foundation, we recognise that everyday contact with nature is an important part for many, but there is some work that needs to be done to sit behind that, that ensures that that access to nature is equitable and that the barriers to nature are, are understood and, and can be overcome. Um, and that's particularly important when we're thinking about things like how we plan our towns, cities and, and spaces, the spaces that people use, and how can we bring nature and green space and green corridors into those spaces so that folks can have incidental contact with nature in their day um, and, and ensure that the spaces that are available um, publicly are genuinely accessible to people. Oh, you raised some really fascinating points there, Nicole. I mean, again, um, 
what's really coming across when you talk is one, I guess, the interconnected aspect. I, well, I suppose whenever you're talking about well-being, well-being is is big, isn't it? It's sort of so many aspects within a person's life. And when you were mentioning um, about nature and also people's roles and I guess being a steward in nature and supporting it and you can immediately start making the links to things like promoting biodiversity to climate change. Again, the point you've been making about health inequalities, town planning. It's it's big when you start looking into it, isn't it? And yeah, the point that you're making around sort of inequality of access to nature or landscape or fields or meadows, they feel very familiar for things that people within the membership of the Alliance tell us also crucially you can bring nature to you and I think this there was good research that kind of outlined this over the pandemic too that even little things like tending to house plants watching nature documentaries interesting start that I think the watching of nature documentaries increased by something like 2000 percent over the pandemic so you can even if it's a challenge to get out in nature whether that's the great Scottish weather or other barriers that are in place, you can think about how you can bring nature into your day to day in a way that gives you space to just reflect, take stock and breathe. So after speaking to Nicole, the mental health benefits of interacting with nature seem really clear and obvious. And particularly her points around noticing nature and having a more considered or purposeful relationship with what's going on around you has led me to think what does these examples look like in practice and how would I go about doing it myself so I'm going to have a conversation with a good friend of mine Ash Park who works for a local heritage centre on the Isle of Butte and has recently been involved in implementing forest bathing find out what her experience has been and if she could give me any tips on trying it for myself Welcome, Ash. Hello. I am very excited to hear about some of the work that you have been doing on Butte around forest bathing. What is forest bathing? Let's start there. Forest bathing is gaining a bit of popularity in the UK at the minute, but it was actually started in Japan in, I believe, the 1980s. It's probably not what you're thinking. It's not putting on a swimming costume. It's really not got anything to do with water. Um, it's about going to a local area of greenery near you and becoming very, very aware of what you're seeing, hearing and smelling and really connecting with nature. It's fully immersing yourself back into the natural world and enjoying everything that's around you. So it doesn't have to be in a forest. Various sets of time. Yes. So actually, if you were to forest bathe yourself, you could try different times of day. Uh, you could try different locations. Um, as you were saying, it doesn't have to be a forest. So where I work on the Isle of Butte, we have lots of beautiful forest. However, it's still a popular thing to do and is being more introduced in urban areas. So in Scotland, actually, we're so privileged because we have so much greenery, even in built up urban areas. So if you've got a local park, uh, the quieter, the better, really, because it's this real sense of disconnect. If you could just go there and switch off for a while, a big emphasis on forest bathing is kind of sitting and just being. So if you get to a green space, switch off electronic devices. I would really recommend going at a quieter time of day, whether that's in the morning or in the evening. And 
you can wander around, but do it quite slowly so that you're being very, um, very aware and keep your eyes open. This is one thing that's quite funny because it is meditative. However, you don't want to close your eyes and look inward. You want to look outward. You want to see everything that's around you. And I know that when you're looking, especially at green spaces, I know that humans uh, feel a deep sense of calm when they see greens and blues. So if you can look at the leaves on trees, for example, the way that they move, if you can feel the things that are around you, the different textures, um, there is a lot of benefit. So why did you decide to start doing it on Butte? Was this something that you'd done before? Uh, is this something you're trying out for the first time recently? So on the Isle of Butte, there has been a big emphasis on sort of retreats and um, mental escapes for people who are burnt out from the city. So the original retreats focused around writing and drawing and kind of admiring the view. Uh, but since then, we found that a lot of people who come on these retreats have wanted to naturally migrate towards the forests and the green areas. So there's been a few walking groups on Butte, um, but again, we had people of different abilities and uh, different wants and needs. And I think one of my colleagues noticed the forest bathing uh, in I think it was an article uh, somewhere and we really put a lot of time and resources into finding out more about it finding out the beneficial sides of forest bathing and we started to implement that all sorts of people really really benefit from forest bathing i'm really interested in the fact that i guess this has come in because it's been a bit of a natural migration of people as you say people have come to view a really beautiful area and they are um I guess being drawn towards nature and the forests already. And this is, uh, you're just meeting them where people are already kind of creating that demand and putting that thing forward. So that's so interesting that this is, I guess it sounds almost innate in people to be drawn towards these landscapes. Exactly, it really, really is. Um, people have really migrated towards the green space that we have on the island. And I mean, there's good reason for it you probably have already explored the numerous mental health benefits um, along with physical health benefits you get from just being outside in the fresh air. And we've actually found that, I know people say forest bathing, you can uh, stay for a minimum, I think, of 10 minutes to uh, engage. The recommended is 30 minutes to sit and engage with your surroundings. Uh, but we've seen people there for about two hours, really, really kind of disconnected from their day-to-day -day lives but really connected with the natural world so if you're going to try it yourself I would recommend starting with about half an hour of just sitting or slowly moving around touching looking and enjoying so I've just finished my 10 minutes of forest bathing as directed by Ash I guess to sort of describe where I am I've, I've come to a field that I'm sort of go to on a semi-regular basis it's on the side of a hill there's a little bit of wind it's sort of late afternoon so the sun's still quite high and warm but it's not as hot as it has been the last few days I can sort of see in front of me there's a few oak trees and then another tree I don't really know with white flowers and there's birds singing but 
The only ones I can see are crows, but I can hear others, but I must, they must be in the branches of the leaves somewhere. And I thought I was going to find this quite difficult, actually, because whilst I spend a lot of time in nature, usually it's very active, sort of walking through it, or riding, or cycling. And I'd say it's not that often that I'd sit and just be still. And so I thought I'd struggle with my mind wandering. But actually it's amazing how quickly 10 minutes passed. I can see how easy it would be to spend half an hour, two hours or longer, just sort of sitting and listening and looking. I can really see how just taking the time to purposefully notice what's around you and listen to the sounds and the feels and the smells of nature are so calming and and really slow you down. And I guess the next thing it brings me to wonder is what else is happening for people around nature and wellbeing across Scotland, which like forest bathing, maybe I haven't heard of before or haven't done before. So to gain a better understanding of that, Next, I'm going to speak to Nick Hopkins from Nick Hopkins Consulting, who is a researcher who recently undertook some work into speaking to people involved in delivering nature-based health activities across Scotland and finding out from them the sort of things that they do, where the sector's moving and what needs to happen in the future to make sure that nature-based health activities and nature for well-being is available across Scotland for everyone. Hi Nick, how are you today? Not, not bad at all, not bad at all. Enjoyed a nice sunny weekend. Brilliant, really glad to hear that. So you've been doing some interesting research recently into nature-based health activities and I'm really keen just to hear a little bit about what you've kind of found. So I guess first of all, what are nature-based health activities? There's a term we came up with because we didn't like the term nature therapy. It seemed to sort of have connotations that folk weren't always entirely happy with. So essentially activities which um, involve people engaging with nature with the purpose of improving their physical or mental health, or both, I think would be the best definition. So quite broad, just really anything where I guess nature has a positive impact on people. Absolutely, very broad and a very broad spectrum of activity that we found out there that could fit within the, the definition that we were working with as well. So what were some of those things that people were telling you about? A um, whole range of stuff. A lot of people working around uh, programmes involving people walking and appreciating nature while they were out and about. Um, there were some bits of work which was using cycling in the same way. There was some work um, involving gardening and forestry, so sort of physical activities, but planting things, growing things, chopping things, um, engaging with nature in a sort of very hands-on um, way like that. There was also quite some interesting stuff, which was using nature very much therapeutically, actually, um, or using engagement with animals therapeutically. So there's one project which will always stick in my mind, an equine therapy project, which was teaching young people who were disengaged from school, et cetera, how to manage their emotions by learning to recognise the signs of stress in the horses that they were working with and applying some of those lessons themselves. Also a whole range of other folk just using nature as part of 
formal therapy programs um with, with the sort of theory various different theories behind um behind that work sometimes taking people back to a specific point in in their development and trying to sort of unblock things At other times just giving people a safe space to 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 talk which felt less intimidating than being in the consulting room so you mentioned kind of a few things there about it being a safe space, a place for people to talk. Um, I guess I'd be interested when you spoke to people and they kind of mentioned all these different activities, what was, what was nature bringing to it that was kind of uniquely changing, um, I guess, how people were experiencing um, the sessions or the, the systems they were going through? I think in a, in a sense, people didn't always pin that down that much. Um, it, it, it worked and they had theories about how it worked, but they didn't necessarily pin down exactly. I think for, for some of the activities, it was there was definitely the physical and mental health uh, elements aligned. And nature, in a sense, you know, you could have done exercise programmes indoors, gym-based exercise programmes would have had some effects along the same lines as well. Um, but it, it happened to be nature that folk were interested in. It happened to be that was where the opportunity um, was and, and, and that, that was making a difference that sort of getting out exercising really begin to sort of work hard at things and find some joy and happiness within um, within that I think at other times nature was definitely an x-factor um, people sort of talking about nature reaching people in a way that they could not manage to do um, in, in a way that therapists or, or practitioners couldn't manage to do any other way that there was something about nature that that calmed or excited or or just gave the opportunity to take people out of their out of their usual environment or in some cases um brought an appreciation of the usual environment that's the, the, there's a whole range of different perspectives on it and, and even within the same activity there can be two or three different perspectives that are actually valuable and and and, and capture something of what's going what's going on so that was that was a really interesting aspect of the research the variety yeah, so it sounds like, I guess, nature's sort of complex, complicated kind of beast, and it sort of depends the situation you're in, what you want from it, what your personal preferences are, um, as, to, as to what impact that actually has. There was some quite interesting stuff around um, men and nature as well, sort of reference being made by a couple of practitioners to nature being a good way to meet what they described as, gruff, uh, who they described as gruff old men. Um, and... I think in a sense people being able to talk sometimes about emotions without talking about emotions or talking about emotions by talking about other things um, and sometimes just the opportunity to have conversations in passing as people were engaged in the activity and um, just making it easier to open up as, as links developed um, between people and certainly that came up time and again people saying it's just easier to talk in the open air than it is in the confines of a consulting room when you're sitting across a, a space from someone sort of staring at them and vice and vice versa. That can be too direct and too intimidating for, um, for, for some people. So, I mean, I guess you've, you've told us quite a lot about what people are doing across Scotland and that seems you know, incredibly varied just depending on what the situation is. But I know you were also asking people about you know, what are some of the challenges, uh, what's working well or what's really needed in the future? So I wondered what were kind of some of your key, you know, when people said it, I thought that's important. That's something we need to look at. I mean, to be cliche, funding was the was the big one. And I think, you know, you'd go out and ask mm -hmm. a set of volunteer organisations and it was 
it, w- it was definitely vol- the voluntary sector in the lead. But you go out and ask any set, set of voluntary organisations about their challenges and they will say funding. And you know, funding sort of to sustain the sort of organisations that were able to provide the space in which this activity could grow. So community development organisations, community health projects, but not just those mental health projects um, and physical health projects focused as, as, as well. And being able to sustain themselves so that they knew that they could um, develop uh, nature-based health activities and continue to, su- to su- support them. So there's something about the ecology um, of the nature-based health sector, sector that I think is quite um, important. I think there were challenges around people's socioeconomic status and class. I think um, some folks were suggesting, to be a little bit cliched about it, we have middle-class hippies volunteering, middle-class hippies working with us, um, and we're working with working-class people, and sometimes there might be a gap of, of, of understanding there. I think that could be overstated, but mm-hmm. that, 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 was, that was definitely there as something that needed to be, um, to be worked through. I think um, what you have is people who, where they have an existing relationship with health practitioners, it tends to work because you know, you know, those relationships are warm and you know, over time the projects prove themselves and the practitioners therefore make more referrals. It's not always easy necessarily to get that sort of process standardised, that relate those relationships standardised so that folk, um, wherever they are, can be guaranteed access to these sort of activities. So that, that, that sort of taking it from the sort of particular relationships, the generalised relationships, and, and removing that sort of little bit of a lottery of access is a big mm-hmm. challenge, I think, for, for mm-hmm. organisations as well. And I think sometimes finding the right language to communicate um, success in was, was, a, was a challenge for people as well. Um, and when you've got good data, or at the very least, really good anecdote, really powerful anecdote, making that land of decision makers isn't always necessarily easy as well. And a sort of sense that this is a coming agenda, but it's still having to fight for its place alongside a whole range of other agendas at the top. Coming to the end of today's session, it's clear how much of a positive force nature is for people's well-being. But it's also clear that it's a complex area touching on multiple sectors and multiple aspects of people's health and behaviour and leading into a number of health inequalities which are potentially exacerbated by inaccessibility of nature and green spaces in our current communities. I hope you've all enjoyed today's session and thank you so much for joining me and thank you to all of our contributors and speakers as well. If you're looking for some more information around nature and wellbeing, there's the Thriving with Nature guide that the Mental Health Foundation developed with the WWF and the Mental Health Awareness Week 2021 resources, which are both available on the Mental Health Foundation's website. There's also the Growing the Impact of Nature report, which Nick spoke about, which is available on the Alliance's website. It's been a pleasure talking to you all today. And please, if you've enjoyed the session, then remember to tweet with hashtag AllianceConf2022. Goodbye.